0: The bigger problem is is that when it comes to Islam's history and doctrine, we are profoundly professionally ignorant. It is astounding how much is not known about this in universities and in churches.
1: Hi everyone and welcome, this is the Apostate Prophet. I'm here today with a very important person that I've waited for for a long time, uh, Dr. Bill Warner, who has made a very important work in the recent years about Islam, especially about what he calls political Islam. He also made some very special work on the topic the Crusades versus the Jihad. And I also want to talk with him about that today. Let me just get to him directly so that he can introduce himself and can start talking. Hello, Dr. Bill, how are you?
0: I'm doing very well and delighted to be here with you. Let me me make a personal statement here. In my opinion, some of the biggest heroes on earth are those who leave Islam and then speak to the public. And you're one of those people who is a hero.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate that a lot.
0: I want to come directly to
1: your background, one of the most important things to get out of the way. You are a part of the science community. You have a PhD in, uh, in a science field. Uh, could you tell us more about your background?
0: Well, we need to go back to when I was a child. I was raised in a very religious family, and the kind of Christianity we practiced was very text-based. That is, we were called Bible-thumpers, as an example. So as a, from a child of early age, preteen, I started studying the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so when I left home, I, one of the things I did was I became very interested in mysticism. And so my first contact with Islam was with a Sufi master. Uh, and that's, so I studied Sufism for about a year. But there were some things about it that I thought were dark corners that they didn't speak about. Later, I would know these were jihad and sharia. So I left. But as a professor, much later in life, I had many Muslim students. And I believe that to truly understand anybody, you need to know their religion, because religion shapes character, personality, morals, and even your history and your culture. So I read the Quran. I'd read it before, but only bits and pieces. And so then I read the whole thing from cover to cover. Then I read the life of Muhammad, and I went, whoa, we have a problem. So on 9-11, September 11, 2001, when I saw the second plane hit the second tower, I said, this is jihad, Islam is here. And so I decided that what I wanted to do was devote my life to making the doctrine of Islam easily understandable. Because I'm a scientist and so I like to teach with the fundamental facts of the matter. And that's, so that's, that's what got me started.
1: That's very interesting. I didn't know about the Sufism part because uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell you about my past, but I was indeed uh, a part of a Sufi order when I was oh, really? a religious Muslim. Yes, yes. <laughs>
0: Who would have thought we would have that in common?
1: <laughs> I didn't know that about you. I, w- I was part of that for uh, about three to four years. Decided to get into that. I was so much in love with it. And in the end, I realized it's, that there is just so much wrong about it. And it's, it's not different from, uh, it's not very different from what we call fundamentalism in Islam today. It just, just the You're methods right. are different. But the but the beliefs uh especially the belief in jihad in violence in the legalism of uh of the islamic fundamentalist part is is very much there in sufism as well it's not all about love and and and, and being sweet Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's what i found out
1: it it wasn't really uh, what you were doing professionally. So, what gave you the enthusiasm to get into this <clears> and to, 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 to take this title and to, enti- to enlighten the world about
0: Islam? Well, as I had read the Quran before and I'd also read the Hadith and the Sirah, I realized that these were almost impenetrable for most people. That is, they weren't going to study them. And so I decided to try to put all the doctrine of Islam together the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith in such a way that anyone could understand it. My, I write for a, a teenager in high school, is my audience that I imagine in my head, because I want to make things very, very simple and easy to understand. To me, making the Quran understandable was like an intellectual project, or like a giant puzzle. And I was determined to, as I've said to myself, crack the code, that is, make this easy to understand, which I've done. So I saw the whole doctrine of Islam as something that was worth a intellectual challenge, particularly as a scientist. One of the things that happens with me that's unusual is is that I do things like saying there are 89 verses in the Quran which say that Muhammad is the perfect model for all humans to lead their life by. Or 51% of this, I, I talk in these per, summary percentages, because while I, I write for a Western audience. My challenge was to make it very simple to understand. And let me say that having spent, I don't know how many years in the universities, that the average professor does not write to be simple to understand, he writes in order that you can appreciate how intelligent he is. And so he talks to only people way up here to talk to each other. And I'm interested in dealing with a common man. So that it was an intellectual challenge to make this subject, which was difficult, simple.
1: I really like that, I really like the entire idea of that. Uh, I'm trying to kind of do the same thing on my uh, YouTube activities in that I'm trying to make everything very easily understandable and concise. I think that's the best way to actually inform people about Islam. Uh, There is no use in talking big words, going into lengthy uh, explanations of things people are not ready to understand. So I appreciate that very much. Uh, I want to come to the distinction you make between Islam, Muslims, and political Islam. You point out very often that you are about political Islam would you could you define that for us
0: well when I read the uh, is, the sacred text of Islam Quran Sarah Hadith I was impressed by something I'd already studied Buddhism I spent I studied the Torah at an Orthodox synagogue for a year and a half for instance so what struck me about Islam as I was reading it was if you read Buddhist sutras they're about how to be a better Buddhist and the Buddhist view of the world. But when you read Islamic doctrine, so much of it is about me. I'm the unbeliever, the kafir. And so I said to myself, since I'm outside of the religion, there's no way that I'm involved in the religion of Islam, and yet Islam is involved with me. So I call this interface between Islam and the non-believer political Islam because it is not religious Islam. I consider religious Islam to be the practices that bring a Muslim to paradise and avoid hell. I want to come
1: to something specific that you did before that I also have brought up at the beginning of this video, is the crusades against the jihad. I want to watch this uh, very quickly together.
0: Whenever you're dealing with an apologist for Islam, or even a Muslim, and you bring up jihad, almost immediately they kick back to you. Well, what about those terrible crusades? Why, they're the moral justification for jihad. I mean, we're just as bad as they are, so let's not talk about jihad, okay? Let's talk about the crusades. Well, what we'd like to talk about here are facts. And it turns out I sat down and put together some work and I created a database of some 548 battles that Islam fought jihad battles against classical civilization. And this are not even all the battles. It really doesn't say much about Africa and India. Afghanistan and all that. It's primarily the battles against the classical civilization of Rome and Greece. So I created something which I call a dynamic battle map in which you have a display of the Mediterranean and a white dot means that this 20-year period that's a new battle. So every time the screen changes its 20-year period. And here it starts. Islam burst out of the Arabian Peninsula and immediately starts attacking the Middle East. And notice that it doesn't take long until they're crossing the Mediterranean and attacking southern France and Spain. Most people think of Islam, they think of Arabs. They think of Arabs, they think of desert. And yet here we see that Islam is projecting power throughout the Mediterranean. Notice how the little islands of the Mediterranean are getting hammered. The navy of Islam would attack coastal towns, kill, rob, rape, and then take slaves. So this whole battle map as it unfolds, you're seeing slaves being taken. Over a million slaves were taken out of Europe into the Islamic world. That's something you don't think about much, but it's absolutely true. There were over 200 battles fought in Spain alone. And we also see, however, on the East Coast, in Turkey, that Islam is trying to break into Europe. Now what's going to happen is, in Spain, this ongoing fight that lasted for 400 years, the Christians are going to push back the Muslims. But now then what has happened over in the East is that Constantinople has fallen and now then Eastern Europe is getting hammered. The jihad now comes to Eastern Europe. It's pushed out now of Spain. Northern Africa is now completely Islamic. The Middle East is completely Islamic. This is all jihad relentless jihad. And why is it so relentless? Well, Muhammad was relentless in his jihad, and these people are good students of Islam and so it's against the Kafir, on and on. It was traditional that when the Sultan came to power, the brand new Sultan, he would immediately try to launch new wars because he was going to be noted in his Islamic history as to how well he fought against the Kafir. So that's what the Jihad looked like over that time period, 548 battles. But remember, when you bring up Jihad, people want to bring up the Crusades. So I also prepared a dynamic battle map of all the offensive raids of the Crusaders. Let's watch it and make a comparison. And so it begins. The Crusades enter into Turkey and the Middle East. Battles go on, but aren't there far fewer than you thought there might be? And here we go. The last battles are fought, and that is the end of the Crusades. So now then we can talk about some facts. Yes, there were Crusades, but notice they ended centuries ago, and Jihad is being practiced today. Jihad has been with us for 1400 years. There is no comparison between Jihad and the Crusades, certainly not a moral comparison. And when you're looking at the Crusades, remember, in one sense, all of the Crusades were defensive wars. Why? Well, as we saw in the first jihad map, it was Islam that came out of Arabia and conquered the Middle East, a Christian Middle East. And so the crusaders were trying to free their Christian brothers and sisters from jihad. So there's no moral comparison at all. The motivation of the crusaders was to free Christians. Their purpose of jihad is to enslave the kafir. The next time you hear somebody talk about all those dreadful crusades, you've seen some facts about the matter. Why don't you pipe up and tell them you know you don't really know the matter?
1: Dr. Bill, I'll make it very simple. When I saw this for the first time, I thought, this is the best thing I have seen so far on the Crusades versus the Jihad. It's it's very, very clear. It's all perfectly visualized so that even the least informed person can look at this and exactly understand what you mean, exactly understand what was going on, exactly understand why the whole discussion on, uh, you know, but we made the crusade is is entirely wrong. I want to discuss a bit further about that. Why do you think is it that uh, people have this idea all the time that uh, Europe should should be taken should be held responsible for the entire uh, crusader story while the world is entirely ignoring the vast history of jihad in the Islamic world that started before the crusades and ended long after the crusades
0: what we're dealing with here is a lack of rational thought i'm a scientist and so i base everything that i can on facts these two videos for instance were made when i realized that I started doing some research, and a lot of work had been done earlier that I dug out. I, cre- I think there were 548 battles that I cataloged. So then you're, you have the problem of how do you display this information. I came up with this idea of the dynamic battle map. I also did this to educate Europeans and Christians as to why, this go- why the con- condemnation of the Crusades, well, there are things that should be condemned about it. But I think the other thing is is that there's a diff- in the West, there's been a war between Catholicism and Protestantism. And I think the Protestants were some of those who brought in the evil Crusades idea because the Catholics, those involved in Europe were Catholics. But now this is only a guess on my part. The bigger problem is, is that when it comes to Islam's history and doctrine, we are profoundly professionally ignorant. It is astounding how much is not known about this in universities and in churches. Uh, You can go to a church university and you'll discover that they don't teach anything about the, the death of Christianity. Never mind the Crusades, A large part of Christianity was annihilated, and yet Christians ignore this as well. So I find that Islam is the great subject which has not been studied in the way that it should by the common person.
1: I would add to that, from my own experience, from my own knowledge, because I come from the Islamic world, I have lived in the Islamic world for over a decade, that the Islamic world also has this collective spirit. The Islamic world always wants to come together, never acknowledge their own faults, just just as well in the case of Israel, for example, never acknowledged their own faults and want to spread this idea that the Islamic world was always right and all the others were always evil. Because of that, we can even see that in the Islamic world, in a world with a thousand and four hundred years of violent, bloody history of conquest, people can speak about how bad the crusades were.
0: Confused. One of the things I've learned in dealing with Islam, because we have to go back to Muhammad here, Muhammad was never wrong, the Kafirs were always wrong. And this is something that I've learned and I've debated with Muslims. And one of the things that I've learned is, is that Muslims are never wrong and Kafirs are never right. And I can't really understand Islam because if I really understood Islam, I'd be a Muslim. So the fact that I'm not a Muslim is proof that I cannot understand it.
1: Well, even if you understood Islam before, if you are an ex-Muslim, like in my case, it suddenly turns into you were never really a a Muslim. You didn't really understand Islam. That's why you left Islam. It's never their fault. It's never Islam's fault. It's always my fault and your fault. So we agree. (laughs) Yes. One other thing I want to come to is the subject of slavery. You have brought it up in the video already, but I think it's a it's a very interesting topic. I spent a lot of time on my channel talking about that. In the West, we spent a lot of time focusing on the transatlantic slave trade, on how white people, how Europeans enslaved black people or enslaved the world, while Actually, if we look at history, if we study history carefully, we can see that the transatlantic slave trade was something pathetic compared to the slave trade in the Islamic world. That started, again, long before the slave trade in the, in the Christian world and ended also long after the slave trade in the Christian world.
0: Well, first let me say that the university that I taught at for eight years was historically a black college. So they were very sensitive to the concept of slavery. The only theory of slavery that was taught was the evil white man on the wooden ship. That's all that was allowed to taught about the origins of slavery. Once again, I had an intuition that slavery was much more endemic than just the evil white man on wooden ships. There is, by the way, an excellent book that has been written by John Azuma, who is an African who has written on the, the effect of slave, uh, how Arab, he calls it Arab Islam, effect, something on slavery in Africa. Bobbled the ball there, and I don't really remember the exact title of it. But there are now books which go into clearly the fact that it was Islam that was the slave trader. <clears throat> Let's go to directly to the Sunnah of Muhammad. Muhammad had white slaves, black slaves, Arab slaves. He had sex slaves. He wholesale slaves. He bought them and sold them wholesale. He tortured, he prayed while slaves were tortured. Muhammad had personal slaves. Uh, we know that some of his, the slaves in his family were black because of the Hadith. So what we have here is is the fact that Muhammad was was a slaver, and so therefore it is totally the sunnah of, of Islam that slavery is acceptable. So there was slavery on the north coast of Africa, there was slavery on the uh, east coast of Africa. So Islam is deeply involved in slavery. I think the last slave market was closed in official slave market was in Mecca in 1962 or four. By the way, here's an interesting thing. Do you know what the uh, highest price slave was in the Meccan slave market? A white woman. And why do we know that the, she was the most desirable? Well, Muhammad's favorite sex slave was described as Mary, who was fair of complexion, white. So therefore, it's the Sunnah Muhammad that the best sex partner is a white woman. So if we're gonna understand slavery in the world, we have to understand Islam. Now, by the way, there were more slaves. Islam is not responsible for all the slavery because when you, for instance, view the Native American tribes, they also had slaves. Every civilization had some form of slavery, whether it's serfdom, or whatever else, where powerful people could get poor people to do rough, hard, dirty work. Just like we haven't fully faced the history of Islam, we have never faced the history of slavery. And so I find that I find forbidden knowledge very attractive to me. That's the reason I study these things. I think I'm not supposed to. <laughs> Since you
1: made such great points about the uh, history of slavery, I want to add uh, just a few things. Uh, it is historically recorded that um, in the Islamic world, especially among Ar- especially among Arab slavers, uh, slavers should hesitate in converting those slave nations to Islam. Because uh, in Islam you can only take someone as a slave, or according to Islamic, Islamic uh, rules, according to Islamic moral, you can only take someone as, as a slave if he is not a Muslim. Muslim. And if he becomes a Muslim, then he gains a right of quick emancipation. The slavers knew that all along. And that's why it is historically recorded that the slavers always prevented so-called slave nations, black Africans, from converting to Islam. And this shows us that there is absolutely something wrong, not only with slavery in the Islamic world, but in Islam that caused all this mess with slavery. Another point I want to add is that it's also very historically recorded. And I believe you can uh, confirm that, that that uh, the Islamic world was also widely involved in the uh, transatlantic slave trade that we nowadays only want to blame on the European man. I want to jump from here into another topic which you love very much by now, I believe. How did we get here? Why is it that every critique of Islam is demonized? Why is it that uh, a non-Muslim man, a non-Muslim person who hasn't been a Muslim before, who criticizes Islam, is seen as as a big bigot, as a racist, as a xenophobe? a hateful person. For example, just to point out, you are listed by the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center as uh, among the inner circle of anti-Muslim bigots. Although when you look at your work, you basically just make presentations about Islam. Why, how did we get here?
0: I don't know. I'm actually very careful. Let's use our discussion that we've had here today. Have I said anything bad about Islam or Muhammad? No, I've just said this and that and the other. That is, they're factual things that are, can be determined. Anyone else can reach them. I think the reason we're seeing this use of it, when I was young, my parents taught me that calling names was the lowest form of argument, and it was usually the argument given by somebody who didn't have a good argument to make. And I think one of the reasons that the left calls people like me a racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobias, is they cannot defeat me in logical argument because they don't know any facts about Islam at all. I have known leftists who will defend Islam with vigor and then turn around and speak bitterly and hatefully about Christianity or Jews. There is a peculiar thing here in which the Muslim is always seen as the ultimate victim, and people like me who simply say, here's the doctrine they're following, is I'm a bad person. And so that's the reason, so the Southern Poverty Law Center is the ultimate name-caller, if you will. They don't address my logic. They don't say, you know, Bill, when you talk about this, this is not true. What they say is, I'm a racist. By the way, as a former Muslim, can you tell me, did you lose your race when you left Islam?
1: <laughs> no.
0: Did it change? <laughs> no. No. But this to me is a great tragedy. And let me explain to you why it's tragic. Our civilization is having two cornerstones. One is the ethical cornerstone of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so this is a, what I call a unitary ethic in which all people are treated by the same code. Our intellectual cornerstone is critical thought, rational thought, fact-based reasoning. I see us losing our fact-based reasoning and instead resorting to the lowest form of logic, which is force and screaming and calling names. Antifa is the new intellectual model, I'm afraid. If we cannot agree to do fact-based reasoning and not interrupt each other and scream and Mm -hmm. that is uh, act like adults, this becomes a normal thing. But what we're seeing here is a childish behavior on the intellectuals. And the worst of them are in the universities. Well, uh, I, just keep, I just keep fighting.
1: So do I. I just thought <laughs> it. <laughs> what would be your, your advice, your personal advice with your work to the Muslim com- community, to Muslims who listen to you, to Muslims who stumble upon this video?
0: Study your history on a fact-based basis and then learn who Muhammad really was. Learn what his Sunnah really is and understand the contradictions in the Quran. What I say to anybody is, if you're a Muslim or not, you need to know more about Islam. You need to know more more about Allah, and you need to know more about Muhammad. I'm a teacher. And so I advocate knowledge as a cure for ignorance. Thank you so much, Dr. Bill.
1: I want to talk lastly about uh, your books. You have uh, written a lot of books about Islam, mostly also books that are very concise, which I liked very much, because that's, that's always something I'm looking for in terms of educating people. Could you give us a summary about, uh, about your, your books, about the topics of your books?
0: Well, basically, all of my books are about Islam, and I, I, I published three different Qurans, I published two different lives of Muhammad, and they may change only in their size. That is, when you, my simple Quran is about this thick and the two-hour Quran is about this thick. What I discovered is, is that people are intimidated by Islam, and so they figure, well, I can't understand this. But if you give them a little bitty book, they go, well, I can understand this. I don't criticize Islam, I don't criticize Muhammad, I just say what he did and what he said. I don't criticize the Quran, I just say, here's what it says, And it has these contradictions in it. So I say to Muslims, you need to know more about Muhammad. You need to know more about Allah. And I say to kafirs, you need to know more about Muhammad and more about Allah. I have a very uniform plan.
1: I I love that. Finally, Dr. Bill, do you want to say... uh... Some last words to my audience, my last words on my channel are always stay away from Islam, but that's only me. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would say to our audience that we live in perilous times. There's big shifts that are happening and then we need to deal with facts and dealing with it. If we're going to talk about immigration instead of being all soft in the head and soft in the heart, we need to look at the facts of the matter. I'm a scientist. I believe in fact based reasoning and I encourage everybody to do the same. Besides that, it's fun.
1: I agree. Thank you so much, Dr. Bill. I I absolutely loved this conversation. Thank you very much for joining me.
0: Thank you. I I judge interviews on how enjoyable the interview was, and I think in this case it was a good interview because I enjoyed it. My theory (laughs) is if we're enjoying ourselves, the audience will enjoy us. Oh, thank you. Uh, You're a wonderful person.
1: To my audience, from me, stay away from Islam.